0: Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to Tweedy Gamer's first one-man podcast about Bloodborne. This first podcast is going to be basically uh, my thoughts, my impressions, and uh, what I expect and my feelings towards basically the game Bloodborne, and I... Um again, as you have been able to tell from the channel so far and the channel introduction, everything on my channel is off the hip so far. It is shot from the hip, unscripted, unplanned. and But I recently saw a podcast with Kevin Smith and the Kind of Funny Games guys, and they... Um, Kevin Smith actually said something very very insightful, I think, which was that everything is content to someone. I would be the sort of person to listen to Tweety Gamer at my work, which is what I do. I have a very repetitive job, and it's sort of on a factory floor, and I put on a podcast. That's what I do. I just put on different kinds of podcasts, and a lot of the time... I wish there was just someone expressing their thoughts about certain subjects, and it stands stands to reason that if I'm myself am am left wanting with what the podcasts are currently out there, and I and I think that there's a lot there's a lot to be desired for the sort of podcasts in the interactive medium sphere. Honestly, I think some a lot of the prominent ones are, they're great, they're very animated, there's a lot of humor, and I find them very entertaining and informative. But mm, the focused discussions on particular titles, just extended analyses and opinion pieces and breakdowns, the kind of thing that you'd want out of someone just talking to them about a game and and being very interested in hearing just their prolonged thoughts and meditations on something. Like, I'm left wanting with that. There's nothing like that out there where someone can actually get in-depth, you know, outside of possibly, like, very well-produced analysis videos on YouTube, very well-produced previews. There's a really great Last of Us one, which I'll put in the description. It's amazing. He basically said that the Last of Us made him want to have a daughter, you know, something that's very, you know, condensing it quite a lot and simplifying it a bit. But we're talking about like a very well-produced video, and I find that there's this this missing area, you know. Granted, this podcast won't be as structured and as polished as many of those are, but I... I can tell you right now that when I'm at work, I really don't care about the polish. I don't care about the effects. I sometimes don't even care about the microphone. All I care about is the content. I just care about someone expressing their views about a subject. So without further ado, I'm just going to talk about Bloodborne. Now, we are... I think we are roughly two weeks away from release. I believe it releases on the 24th of March here in Australia. I have my Nightmare Edition pre-ordered, which I'm very excited about. I initially pre-ordered three versions of The Order 1886. I have since decided to sell the Premium Edition to a friend. Uh, He really enjoyed the game. I'm very glad to pass that on to him. I expected The Order to be more expanded, and everything that it was, just more of it. And so that's why I still give it a 10 out of 10. It's, the quality is brilliant. It's like a, comparing a degustation menu to the, you know, a la carte menu. The food is still made by the same chef. It's still phenomenal. There's just less of it. So that I'm not going to pull up any complaints about the quality of the game when it's nothing to do with the quality, it's just to do with the quantity, so yeah, simple as that, um small little tangent, <laughs> and yeah, I pass that on to my friend and he's happy to reimburse me a little, and with that, I'll be um securing the nightmare edition now uh if you're not familiar, although I'm 100% certain that you are because you're listening to this podcast and you've read the title. Um, Bloodborne. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where can I begin? Let's begin uh, with what I'm sure Hidetaka Miyazaki began with, which was the man himself, uh, his inspirations, who he is, because it is his baby. And all great artists, all enduring artists, memorable, influential artists, worthwhile artists, always put who they are entirely into their games. And for the Dark Souls series and for Demon Souls, he has absolutely proved that he does this as a person. He is very he's quite a recluse, he's quite scholarly in his own way. Uh and in a strange way I would say in a kind of dichotomous way, I'd say that he's both shy and incredibly, incredibly forthright. And there are very few photos of him. There are currently, as, much, as far as I know, as of the recording of this, no video interviews with him. He's an incredibly, as I would call, very tweedy, very... He seems like an introvert as a guy. So all of these aspects of a creator's personality, as soon as you analyze them, as soon as you... Sort of take stock of those, it makes understanding and you know, analyzing their works a lot easier because it gives you that foundation of like, okay, well, the reason why his games are like this are because of this. Like, he had a passion for dark fantasy, for you know, Dungeons and Dragons, and that's why he it has fed into Dark Souls. He has a passion for Berserker, I think that's the title of the anime and manga. And that is why there's a lot of influences there. There's even a... I think you can find it on the Bloodborne Reddit. There was someone who spotted a um, something in a berserker manga, which was essentially the messengers from Bloodborne, those little kind of skeleton creatures. It literally was like a picture of them in a berserker. So the direct inspiration was taken from there. So when I started... Tweety Gamer, it was going to be absolutely about investigating the scholarly, the (laughs) psychological, the sociological, developmental, these, I guess you could say, you know, to be very trite about it, it's to say the higher aspects of the project, of the creative process, all that. It's it's still, as you can probably tell by the format of the channel and this podcast itself, it's still in its very early phases of like figuring out exactly what it is. And I I believe, I trust that it will find, it'll sort of, like the magma will settle into its proper shape over time. And these podcasts will get more refined and more focused and I'll bring in guests and everything. And we can actually hone in. But starting with starting with someone like Hidetaka Miyazaki, especially on the eve of his game coming out, I couldn't be I couldn't think of someone more appropriate. Like he, in many ways, represents a, a Tweety gamer himself, you know. And that's really where the origin of Bloodborne is. It's it's in his love for history, for psychology, for um, literature, like. If you do a little dig around on the internet you can find out that the primary the two primary inspirations for at least Bloodborne setting were number 1 Bram Stoker's Dracula which he has recently Hidetaka has said in the latest issue of Edge which I think came out today and today is the 13th of March. He basically said that Dracula was incredibly influential to him. Very early on, it was one of the formative books. He even says something like, it sort of has turned me into a very strange person. And I guess he says, that's why I'm so odd, isn't it? Something charming like that, basically. But anyway, so number one, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Number two, which I believe the producer, whose name escapes me, mentioned, he said, these were the two works of literature that were most influential on Bloodborne's setting. Dracula. And I think there's a translation issue here with the Japanese, but it says The Mists of Cthulhu. Now, there's no actual title by Lovecraft um, called The Mists of Cthulhu. Um, It's, I'm sure the translation is referring to The Call of Cthulhu, because there's only one title specifically within H.P. Lovecraft's over that specifically refers to something with, you know, the word Cthulhu in it, and it's the call of Cthulhu. Now, not to be a spoiler to anyone, you know, we are being very thorough. These, these videos are deliberately quite long, quite thorough, quite ponderous, <laughs> very tweety. If you enjoy listening to old people tell their stories, that's exactly what kind of podcast this is. Sometimes they get a bit of rambly. It's essentially a direct translation of what it's like to speak with me, you know with a little bit of sound effects in the background and a little bit of polish, you know, and some links in the description of the videos. And some videos, um, you know, I'll be playing some videos and some images over this audio, and uh, I'm just essentially going to make very long, detailed discussion videos, which are going to be largely monologues, really, until I start getting some guests in, which I'm... I'm really looking forward to doing, I have already a few people lined up, I have someone lined up for discussing Arkham Knight, who who is actually the same gentleman, who uh, is taking the premium edition of The Order off me, and he's great, he has a website called So Keen For It, as in I am looking forward to it, it's the sort of colloquialism in Australian, sokeenforit.com, and um, that's a fantastic site, and I'm looking at mentioning Bloodborne to him, so he might put something, might even link this video on that site. So if you've come across this video on that site, then, you know, props to you and to and to him. But, okay, dialing back to uh, Hidetaka and his scholarliness, and the very fact that as not many intensely game player people will care about at all, they probably couldn't care less about the origin of Bloodborne and, and the literary inspirations and all that. Maybe there's a lot of people who tune out at that, but that's my jam. That's what I care about most. I really appreciate gameplay mechanics. I am a old-school PlayStation-slash-Nintendo player. I love the medium of games. I believe it's the most exciting and innovative and dynamic and engaging and oh, thrilling medium that is out there, and that will be out there for many years. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure Hidetaka in his own way, he's mentioned m- many times that he believes the medium is moving on to very, very great things, but he's also a staunch traditionalist. And you can see that in Bloodborne's DNA. There's a traditionalist attitude towards the setting, which is quite historically based. Traditionalist attitude towards the gameplay. You know, in many ways, Bloodborne feels like it could almost have come out at the same time as Castlevania Symphony of the Night. It's such a classic concept. And this is us moving basically into that was the whole prologue. This is part one, which is sort of the origins. And that's why I brought up Dracula and, you know, Bram Stoker and Lovecraft. If you've never read any of these authors' books, I'll just give you a quick breakdown. H.P. Lovecraft uh, wrote, I think, in the early 1900s, I feel like saying, early 1900s. And I also feel like saying, um, possibly into the late 1800s, possibly. He is the, ostens- well, not ostensibly, quite literally, the grandfather of popular... An established weird horror, cosmic horror, as, as is being referred to. If you've, ever, if you've read any true detective articles recently that refer to, you know, because that whole show has that aspect, that kind of sometimes quite cosmic horror, occult aspect. H.P. Lovecraft, he was doing that long before, long before anyone else. <laughs> he, he was a bit of an anomaly, actually. If you look up, you know his biography. Um, you know he was a he was a big um, you know as a big appreciator of Edgar Allan Poe. I think he this you can find many quotes from Lovecraft of Poe that says that he was he him, that that Poe was the progenitor of of you know he put himself in the position of uh, you know like, as a scholar to Poe almost. But Lovecraft is most certainly his own thing, like he is, he's, there is no one like Lovecraft in the way that he writes, in what he writes about. My recommendations off the bat, just from my gut, are Beyond the Wall of Sleep, The Call of Cthulhu, At the Mountains of Madness. I would just read those three, one after another, (laughs) preferably with a roaring fireplace and it raining outside and you know, by, you know, a lantern, possibly, you know, that is the kind of feeling, you know, and you can actually see this a little bit in Bloodborne's um, Hunter's Dream, you know, the Dream Refuge, which I, I, I'm i still, like, staggered at how brilliant and how awesome that concept is, and how kindred it is, really, um, the, the feeling that literally Yharnam is a nightmare, and that you wake up, but you're not waking up, you're actually dead and you're actually quote-unquote falling asleep and that's the dream and that's the nightmare and it's just incredibly ripe for storytelling. Anyway, touching on the subject of dreams, uh Bloodborne, sorry, H.P. Lovecraft, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, Dreams, Nightmares. The man was steeped in that. It was his world. H.P. Lovecraft, uh, his, and this is my own opinion, so, um, and I'm not saying this as a Lovecraft scholar or anything, I don't claim to be, but this is my honest, like, off the cuff um, thoughts and impressions of the man and his works. I recently reread, or rather, audiobooked, uh, the Dunwich Horror. The man is, uh, how, to, how, how to quantify it, really, incredibly erudite. Incredibly well spoken, phrases himself so clearly, so horrifyingly clearly, that you really genuinely believe the man is speaking from experience. He's not, it doesn't feel like Lovecraft is creating, it feels like he's relaying from experience. In the same way that Tolkien um, feels like he's been to Middle earth, he's talked with hobbits, he's, you know what I mean? That very immersive feel. I straight up believe when I'm listening to Lovecraft or when I'm reading Lovecraft that, especially with um, the biographical kind of nature of uh, sort of the first person nature, sorry, of something like the Dunwich Horror, it it really feels like it's it's his journal. It's so vivid when I'm reading his books. I, I it, it it literally feels like it, this is no joke. This is a a full on manual a full on description of these like reality shakingly horrifying discoveries and concepts and creatures and and uh this universe this cthulhu mythos as as has been termed since there are many authors who have written within the cthulhu mythos since but in his in his over, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft developed this, this incredible, this incredibly tactile, real feeling. Like that's why his books are so immersive, and they're so. You can tell that the man is speaking directly from his own re- revelations about life, his own revelations about reality. There's an urgency. To Lovecraft, there's an urgency to the way he speaks, and, and, and there's a reason, he gives you the, the impression that he's speaking clearly for a reason that he needs, that he has met with these deep reality-shattering insane truths about the universe and about reality, that this man, this properly dressed you know, tweedy man, unassuming you could walk by him in the early 1900s and be like, oh he's a banker he's a teacher you know, he's a stockbroker or something, and all of this has, is going on in his head. And it, that is the eternal fascination I'll have. That juxtaposition with with Lovecraft is that he was this proper gentleman with this perfect way of phrasing himself. Sometimes a little wordy, as all of the old uh, greats were, which is fine because, hey. We could all use a a great boost to our vocabularies, especially nowadays when things are being dumbed down for us. Dunwich Horror is another thing. There's another one. I'll add. I'll officially add that to the to the others that I've mentioned. Most definitely worth reading as soon as possible if you haven't, and with a lot in common with Bloodborne. Now. To tie it back into Bloodborne, um, if you've seen any gameplay footage with that beast, that multi-armed, multi-eyed beast clinging to the side of the church, I think it was in the alpha gameplay, you see him in the distance, and there are a lot of people who are like, nope, 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 yes, and referring to him as the Cthulhu monster, and if even now if you Google Bloodborne Cthulhu monster, it'll bring up that creature. And the reason I'm talking about this is because, by and large, if you were to boil it down, H.P. Lovecraft, in his books, refers to a reality, a, the human concept of reality being a lie, being the creation of sort of the slime, the, prime, the primordial, unevolved slime of a, of a limited mortal mind our 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 understanding of reality is and this is in many ways in maybe less macabre and less dramatic and nihilistic terms i guess provable by science it is true that we use only 20% of our brains we only perceive a certain spectrum of the color you know a, a, a certain portion of the color spectrum we are we are limited a lot by our mortal beings. We are limited by our faculties, our organic faculties. We can't perceive and and understand the world beyond our, our ken, as the old people would say, <laughs> the old way of saying it is. And there's a profound sense in both uh uh HP Lovecraft and Hidetaka, there's this feeling of like in massive intrigue of that untapped, of that unperceivable, of that unconceivable truths, the deep truths of the universe. And he's de- he essentially Lovecraft dedicated his entire bibliography to providing his own, and he would always phrase it this way, his own little mortal, barely able to even conceive of the way to describe the true face of these horrors kind of, way of of explaining himself. He would always say, Look, whatever I'm describing, it's the reality of it is a billion infinity times worse and more horrifying and more undescribable. I'm just limited by my organic English language. And there are many concepts in Dark Souls that I feel as though touch on this as well. That, you know, about the scholar of the first sin and these you know, the world building that goes into Dark Souls is very, very kindred and, and resonates a lot with um Lovecraft's work because there is a, a theme of you know this for take take the dark souls creation myth for example with the sins and the flames and things emerging from the void and it's 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 definitely a mindset that's shared between Lovecraft and Hidetaka absolutely that's why I'm sure he resonated a lot with that man's works but if we're really going to boil it down and keep it specific to Bloodborne, cosmic horror, creatures that you can't even barely believe that as soon as you see them, they make you go insane. A mixture of fur, tentacles, teeth from another dimension, unholy, terrifying, horrifying beings that we should never, that the human mind was never desi- designed or, or equipped to perceive. Many of us works begin in this way, I believe the uh, Call of Cthulhu begins quite literally on that note, that it is mankind's greatest mercy that we can't understand the full extent of the horror of what's true in the world, and mystery is often the vehicle through which Lovecraft is able to slowly reveal this to people, because if he were to just, in a very you know light switched on on everything just explaining everything he he would be considered a madman like if he wasn't a writer lovecraft would be a madman he would be considered a danger to society with just his insane ideas about deep elder gods you know deities with dragon wings and squid faces and all that he, he definitely but because he, he it is, it is that the context and the format is weird horror it is you know gripping narrative he, and and it's delivered through drama and through suspense and that context is one to one exactly the the same as dark souls and demon souls and bloodborne that mystery is something that Hidetaka absolutely he has carried that into his games his lore the way that he delivers his lore is entirely is entirely it's 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 done with mystery it's done with um omission it is done with without holding your hand without being too encyclopedic and too thorough because it's it does a disservice to the material to be to explain too much to reveal too much and Lovecraft's quote is, fear is the oldest human emotion and the most powerful human emotion and especially fear of the unknown. And Hidetaka capitalizes on this in his lore, in his gameplay, everything. He definitely understands that core primal aspect of the human mind and he channels that and he, he uses that for his creations. And I, I it's it, a testament to this has to be that Honestly, there are more lore videos. There is more speculation. There is a bigger community that I can feel out there for Dark Souls than there are for many pre-existing, pre-established RPGs. There are more lore videos and speculation videos on YouTube about Dark Souls than I can find about Final Fantasy, and I mean that more than Baldur's Gate, more than any other established RPG. And I feel that this is directly... Attributable to the mystery. Humans crave mystery. We thrive on it. It's how we learn. We learn through stories. We learn through wanting to discover, not having things explained to us. And Hidetaka knew that, and Lovecraft knew that, and they both harness that human instinct, that human, that natural human behavior, to want to move closer to the darkness move closer to the mystery because both creators really believe that they have something very very important and very you know uh, a subject that is a subject that Lovecraft for his readers for himself believed was you know was was worth dedicating his entire bibliography to, essentially, and it seems like Hidetaka as well. He would not, these authors, these creators, would not put the amount of effort they do into what they do if they didn't think there was some deeper reason. They wouldn't be regarded as masters, first of all, if the reason was, you know, primarily selfish or monetary or anything. And you can tell you need look no further than Hidetaka's focus on narrative Um, even if there's a large beautiful component on gameplay absolutely but gameplay is the vehicle it's it's the vessel through which the narrative is is this incredibly intriguing and well-wrought and mysteriously presented narrative is is presented the some of the concepts the confrontation about the subject of death and the transience of life All of that is explored so effectively in in Dark Souls. It can't be said to just be a hack and slash. It really can't. Just like you can't say Lovecraft's book were just horror movies. Oh, sorry, horror books. They can't be regarded as that. Both those stories have enormous entertainment value, but even more profound and even more enormous meaning and background and purpose to them, you know, just beyond the veil, just for people who can see it. And that's what Tweety Game is all about. Anyway, let's move on to the second inspiration of Bloodborne. Mr. Bram Stoker. Dracula. Now, this is talked talked about more uh, by Hidetaka in interviews than Cthulhu. I don't think... uh, Sorry, Lovecraft. I don't think that... Hidetaka himself has actually expanded on Cthulhu. I think that was mostly that single comment. I'll put the link of the interview um, in the description so you can read it yourself from the producer, mentioning the two, just quickly mentioning the two literary inspirations. But again, as is the purpose of this interview, as I stated before, deeper appreciation for creative works is gained by being thorough. Starting from the start, examining things, uh, all the contributing elements, all the inspirations, all the everything from the from the ground up. It oh, it just enriches every aspect, you know. It it'll, it absolutely will enrich both the narrative and gameplay aspects because there'll be a context. You know, you'll you'll have been you'll go there with five ten times more enhanced experience from knowing. Knowing properly where these, um, where these games, where these uh, gameplay experiences have come from, like at least personally, it might not do that for many people. But we're not making uh, the Tweety Gamer community isn't for those people. It's um, uh, for people who resonate with uh, this exercise of appreciating games and appreciating the interactive medium on a just going further. No absolutely no, you know, damning judgments against people who don't, there's absolutely space for everyone in this, but um, especially when it comes to these amazingly well-wrought games, and these titles, these creators, these, I still think they're, as for as much, as for as much as Hidetaka gets spoken about, he is incredibly still (laughs) underappreciated, you know, uh, he's he's revered within his medium, but his ideas, I, I believe, with a wider lens, which I hope Tweety Game will contribute to, the man uh, will be able to have uh, you know a, a wider audience of people just appreciating uh, you know the the kind of craft, the the the, the kind of it, it goes beyond a lot of so-called acclaimed tv series so-called acclaimed movies there's such a disparity between quality and the way these media are treated you know games are evolving but by and large they're still a little bit being treated as something childish something um inferior to tv and this and television series in some ways it's it's changing it's changing a lot i mean lots of great titles sort of Watershed titles are are coming about to change that you know journey on the order as I discussed in the channel introduction video you know I think Hidataka is absolutely a part of that discussion he's he's uh, look only look look only to his works and look only to his, the reception of his works and the community that's risen up and the again that has rivaled and absolutely eclipsed the communities of other titles and and that is cognizant he is doing that he he knows he knows why that community has risen up it's because there was a massive void of mystery there was a massive void of challenge you know and and people crave this they don't want to be have their hands held during their experiences you know their gameplay experiences they there is a large base of gamers and appreciators of the interactive medium who are you know, they've they've been it's it's been a long time coming since the earlier titles, the you know, the NES, the Sega, the incredibly challenging titles, which obviously admittedly don't have the philosophical scope of uh, and the sort of the complexity narratively of Many titles that have come out since. I mean, Dark Souls. Yes, it's, it is grinding. It is punishing, but there's also nuance to it, which I I believe could only have been delivered in a modern, uh, a modern medium. There are some old, eight bit, thirty two bit stories which do provoke thinking and do provoke deeper considerations of the human condition, etc., etc. But I think we're witnessing. And this is absolutely a testament to Hidetaka and from software and other game companies doing this similar, similar things. We are absolutely witnessing a golden age, um, absolutely. Anyway, let's dial it back to Bram Stoker. The second pillar of inspiration for the setting of Bloodborne. Now, my knowledge on Dracula, my knowledge on Bram Stoker is pretty basic I've read the book I think most of the way through an incredibly atmospheric and I would say spine chilling book it's there are so many moments in those books that I just they scream vividness they scream visuals like it is a cinematic book even if it's delivered in an epistolary format uh, for those of you who don't know, the term epistolary refers to a narrative that's delivered through in in universe pieces of paper and publications, and you know captains' logs and diaries and such. You know it's that's how Dracula's story is presented, in case you didn't know. But the first thing I'll say, which I which I feel as though has trickled, <laughs> very fl- like fl- flowed very naturally, and very he wears it on his sleeve absolutely. Hidetaka, with with. Dracula um, the influence of Bram Stoker and and Dracula I mean he's he mentioned in, in in recent interviews that he that setting is very near and dear to his heart and even though the decision to go with this Victorian kind of gothic macabre setting was quite Significantly influenced by wanting to change gameplay mechanics. He, he's mentioned that before. He said, we chose the setting to accommodate these new ideas for gameplay mechanics, which I had. But there's no denying, just with how this world building, you can tell with Bloodborne that these floodgates have opened for Hidetaka to pour his ideas into. That's why this universe, this title feels so established already. It feels like it has been in his head. For a long time, there's the there's the feel of that. There's this iconic feel, even to the hunter when you see him, you know, that's an icon right there with the saw cleaver and the blunderbuss. You know, the figurine that's being made absolutely cements that. Some of the quotes from Bloodborne, the feel of Bloodborne, the response on Tumblr of fan art towards Bloodborne with all these sort of thirty-two bit, eight bit tribute pictures and uh, and and the tribute soundtrack it's just it's infectious (laughs) and funnily you know the theme uh, which I was going to talk about next of infection is another thing that was taken from Dracula Dracula as you know is a story about a vampire and the curse of the vampire which is a form of infection it's a form of um You know, the vampirism is referred to, alternately in different contexts, it's referred to as a disease, an infection, a curse of the beast, you know, as you can probably guess, translates exactly into Bloodborne's own universe, which revolves around a curse of the beast, which has overtaken Yharnam, transforming its citizens into beasts. There's a plague aspect there, which isn't shared admittedly with um with dracula unless you count the rats on the ship <laughs> which is an aspect of the story i won't i won't um i mean rats are on old victorian ships that's not a spoiler you can still read the book and that won't have spoiled anything for you um and just like i hope i did with hp lovecraft i i these are not to spoil anything this is just to describe to you you know as someone speaking off the hip, you know, uh, from the gut about these titles and what they mean. And the influence they've had, not only on Hiritaka, very very well established now that these authors, including Edgar Allan Poe and many others, have had profound lasting influences on um contemporary creators. You know, I just look at Tim Burton and Edgar Allan Poe, honestly. Anyway, Apart from atmosphere, and some narrative devices, like the curse aspect, what we have with Bram Stoker is obviously aesthetics. I mean, atmosphere is one thing, it's the feeling of reading it, but as I said, there are many moments in Dracula where these visuals, these, um, these evocative visuals come to mind, and Hidetaka has gone on record as saying, look, I'm not a history student by any stretch. I feel, and this is quoting him, I feel as though I would get overwhelmed and I've never fully immersed properly into, you know, being too precise with my historical or literary inspirations because he doesn't want to ride himself into a corner. But he appreciates the feel of that period of the Victorian period, which is when Dracula is set, and I'll put a link to that interview as well, very fascinating, how he discusses that, he mentions that, like is the case with Dracula, it is, it is, of the two, I'll even say, because, just simply because of how often he speaks of it, compared to the other aspects of Bloodborne, um, it is a major influence, and we can look at the edifices, we can look at the full moon, the shrieks in the night, the Victorian narrations, you know, the monologues talking about beasts and curses, that, that is Dracula, <laughs> if you read the book. The transfiguration from man into beast is another, without getting too spoilery, and it's nothing you, you don't know out of general knowledge of vampires, you know, and also, by the way, just saying, if you haven't read Dracula by now. What are you doing? Listening to this podcast? Go and read Dracula. <laughs> Go and read Lovecraft. <laughs> Please. You know, those are canon. Uh as in that's to say they're free, you can find them anywhere. Just literally find a windowsill, find a fireplace. Enjoy. Really enjoy those books. They're classics. But that's essentially concludes the sort of first half. The, sorry, the first, however many parts this will be, it's again very organic. I'll I'll determine as I go how many aspects there will be to this analysis, to this breakdown, preview, whatever you want to call it. The inspirations; those are the two main literary inspirations. We talked a bit about um, Hidetaka. um Biographically, he's quite he's quite personal with his. He sort of keeps his personal history to his to himself. There's another... Well, I'll just mention some general knowledge about what he's revealed, I think, with IGN in an interview, which, again, I'll link in the description. He said that, ironically, when he was younger, he didn't play many video games. He read a lot of books because he wasn't allowed to play video games. And he read books beyond his own understanding. He He would often read up, you know, read to a higher level than he was used to, and he would piece the information together, he would piece, he would fill in what he didn't understand with his own imagination, which the reason I mention it is that, um, with Bloodborne, if you were to strip it down, you take Cthulhu, uh, sorry, Lovecraft, and you take Bram Stoker and Dracula, if you were to remove, you know, certain aspects like the fact of vampires specifically, or the fact of tentacled monsters specifically, if you were to sort of take some shot, take some pot shots at those narratives and those universes and those characters. And if you imagine someone pouring in their own imagination and their own interpretation, that's Hidetaka. That's Bloodborne. He's, uh, and I'm sure the man is absolutely, incredibly well-read and intelligent. He can read any book and understand it perfectly well. He's quite a scholarly man, very intelligent man, very perceptive man. He'd be able to properly understand any any book you put in front of him now, but there's an aspect which I think is worth discussing, which is that he is honoring that part of his childhood and of his creative process, which is which harkens back to when he did used to read these books when he was younger, and he used to fill in the gaps, you know, and that's what's created, absolutely created the very unique you know, singular and very recognizable and iconic Dark Souls lore, Dark Souls aesthetics, and the upcoming Bloodborne, absolutely. We can talk about some other inspirations now, so those are the core. So you've got the the man himself, you have his older, literally chronologically, we'll just, you know, approach it from that point of view, chronologically older inspirations. Moving into the more contemporary inspirations behind Bloodborne, we're looking at one that's a lot of people have <laughs> they picked up within five seconds of seeing the first poster or seeing the first trailer. Le pacte de Loup or oh, The Brotherhood of the Wolf by Christoph Gans, Oh, I feel like that's the director's name, I could be wrong. But two thousand and one, I believe, that film came out. Just look at the main characters, the poster of that movie it's Bloodborne. Look at that. I will accept, (laughs) you know, I'll accept no claim of it being a coincidence that the tricorn hat, the scarf up around the nose, the trailing, you know, travelling coat with the back cape, which has become so iconic of the Bloodborne main character, uh, referred to as The Hunter, as far as I know in promotional materials and otherwise. Absolutely an influence. Uh, Again, if you know the Pacte de Loup, but the word of the wolf refers to the wolf, again, there's a theme of beasts, there's a theme of... Also, without spoiling too much, if you know the Beast de Gavardin, uh, almost the French equivalent of the werewolf myth, you know, there was this purportedly real sightings of this beast, in Gavardin, werewolf type creature has entered, you know, French folklore, of course, um, to rank alongside other, you know, lycanthropic uh, iterations of that of that myth, you know, um, across the world. It's very similar, um, and as part of that story, yes, you are well sorry not you are, the protagonists are men in trench coats with weapons and they go to a city that is full of secrets and that there is a beast to contend with, there is a bestial uh, presence which is absolutely kindred to Bloodborne, no doubt about it, so that's why I'll mention it as number one of the contemporary inspirations behind Bloodborne um, in terms of anything coming after that, nothing honestly comes to mind. If I think of anything later down the way, I'll just add in a footnote if it occurs to me. Nothing that I can think of um you've got Berserker, obviously, which I mentioned before, with the messengers um there are vaguer. There are vaguer inspirations which refer to. I believe there is a comic series called The Marquis, I believe, with a character with a tricorn hat. Um, this is very minor, but uh, um, Vampire Hunter D, the opening sequence of Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust, is absolutely Yarnum. <laughs> so that's a. But that's a footnote. You know, that's what I would consider a footnote in terms of the inspirations. Um, inspirations that sort of kind of rounds off uh, that kind of rounds off the inspirations and the biographical aspect of Hidetaka again, he's very personal hasn't gone into much of his um, personal life So, but I, again, I, I feel as though that's on purpose and we can, it's him essentially saying between the lines look, you can glean a lot from what I've told you Again, this is totally Hidetaka, he does this with his life, in his games He's like, I've given you enough, trust me (laughs) I've given you enough help with this, I've given you enough lore He is very respectful to the intelligence of his players There's no hand-holding at all Either in interviews, in his games, with his lore It's fantastically admirable and kindred um, integrity that the man has Anyway Moving on to the setting, so we've talked about the narrative we've talked about sorry, we've talked about the inspirations behind bloodborne and largely narrative and atmospheric and aesthetic inspirations. But let's go into the setting of bloodborne and into a bit of speculation as well. Bloodborne as and I'll provide a link to this, I've been writing which is essentially the the written version of this it's called an extensive and a thorough preview and analysis of bloodborne which i'll be putting that pdf up either in the description of this video down the line or on its own maybe on the tweety gamer website but i go into this and i go into what i'm about to talk about um, into what i'm about to talk about i go into that in more detail in the PDF the story of Bloodborne this aspect given that the character is you know self-created this creates a scenario where the you know the the context is that hunters are drawn Multiple hunters, that's plural. Hunters are drawn to Yarnum for some reason. There are many hunters there that are traveling there. A lot of the early speculative uh, fan narrations or what have you, speculative stories, center around the fact that mysteriously this city up in the mountains, whose name, you know, Yarnum, there is a breakdown. Again, I haven't seen this for any other IP. I I guarantee you, even Final Fantasy. There's a video which I'll also put in the description. Lots of videos in the description, of a short video detailing the nomenclature, the meaning of Yarnum. Because if we're going to boil it down, Bloodborne begins with understanding what Yarnum is. It's Bloodborne takes place in Yarnum, in and around Yarnum, as far as has been revealed, and Yarnum is a very key place. It's a key city. And because we can't focus too much on the character, because that's autobiographical, that's, sorry, that's um, player-directed, you know. You can't harp on about the protagonist of Skyrim because it's you, and you create that story. So what we can talk about is the setting and the named characters of that setting, which are an extension of the setting, I feel. They add to the atmosphere, so. Yanam The place of a yearning. Harnam. In Hindu, which I believes, which I believe, which I believes that's from de- Death Clock, yes? No, just kidding. Harnam, uh, he who loves God, I believe, is from the video. There's a description of, um, an aspect of, uh, one of the interpretations of the name is Hindu and it's he who or she or they who sing God's name or seek God's name. Then you have Yarn, which is essentially an analog to the word yearn, And I believe that's ancient Gaelic. My memory is failing me. I'll definitely rec- like forward you straight onto that video to get the precise descriptions. And so my deducing of this is that Yarnum means the place of yearning, and the place where one seeks God. Another meaning of God is that the notion of meeting God after death is another common theme in many cultures, and so death awaits there, and it's where you meet God. There's a yearning for meeting God there, for meeting one's end, for meeting one's maker, so to speak. And that is very much in line with the Yarnam, in, in line with, why the name was chosen, and it makes perfect sense, and something I discovered when putting this, I can't say I'm putting it together, because this is just me talking essentially, but as you can tell by the way I'm talking it, and the structured way I'm talking it, is talking about it all, is um, that I've spent a bit of time researching this, and sort of immersed in thinking about this, and I have my appreciation for Hidetaka's thoroughness, and his... Deliberateness in in his name choices. It's amazing what he's what he's done. It's easily developers and game developers. They can just throw any name around and just justify it in universe. Give it an in universe definition. You know, well, whatever. This is what this means within this language. Great, done. But Hirataka, he's very respectful. He uses actual references to a few different cultures, and I'm certain that that was deliberate. As a side note, he's not without a sense of humor. One of the weapons is called a Kirkhammer, and come on, Kirkhammet, Metallica, Mm. very obvious. Metallica, full of imagery, especially in their early days. Apocalyptic knights, you know, uh, swords and sorcery, not so much. But there's a link there, and you can tell there are some Metallica fans at From Software. Anyway... So, Yarnum. Then we move on to the premise. I mean, that's the setting, that's the location. The premise is there is a cure in Yarnum. There is a cure, which is what people are seeking for. And God is as much equated with death as He is with salvation. He's every, well, he, The understanding is that God's everything, He gives everything kind of thing. And so... You know, that can also fold into the meaning of yearning. There are people yearning for a cure. They go there um, for a cure. Now, it's very easy to overlay the narrative that the main player must be looking for a cure himself. That might not be the case. We're obviously going to discover that once we play through the game. And from what has been revealed with the Hunter's Lodge... Sorry, the... Hunter's Dream, the Dream Refuge, it's quite likely that um, there's gonna be quite a dreamlike aspect of the title. There may be things that are entirely captured within dream and nightmare. That there may be a narration that folds into that. There there could be an aspect of Yanam which could represent a yearning. You know, it could be all a nightmare or all a dream. And dreams, nightmares are all referred to, sorry, are all synonymous with a form of yearning, with a form of a part, an unacknowledged, and unconscious part of the mind uh, yearning for release. Um, we keep that, we keep those aspects, dreams, nightmares, those are very much in the unconscious mind where we keep them closed in, much like we would keep a beast closed in. Those aspects are hidden away, and Yarnam. I could say that Yharnam is quite Freudian, or almost Jungian actually, the place is pure unconscious terror, it is pure id, not id, uh, pure unconscious, that is a nightmare, Yharnam strips away control, it strips away certainty, everything we know and appreciate and take for granted in waking life, yarnam, nightmares, like yarnam, strip it away from us. There's no comfort, there's no respite, you know. And in my PDF, I touch on this in the introduction about how that's incredibly necessary. It's something that we humans seek, it's why nightmares occur in the first place. It's the body reminding us that this is real as well. We don't always live with control. We can't always know everything. There are many there are much much of our human experiences are captured and perceived and sort of contained within us as part of this unconscious place, this unconscious state, which is largely what psychology is about exploring. Without getting too heady, bloodborne could very much be seen as navigating raw primal nightmare unconscious, the creatures, the the theme, the, it's it's essentially a living nightmare. It's an interactive nightmare is how I refer to it In uh, and is actually the title of the PDF, an inter- Bloodborne and Interactive Nightmare, which is where I explore this in even more detail. So you're welcome to refer to that uh, as a supplement to this podcast. Um, I'm just noticing the time what I might do is actually close this podcast at one hour and we can split out split it up into two. So this first podcast will be Bloodborne's Origins Literary Inspirations, Contemporary Inspirations and a small discussion about its setting. So for everyone still following, I hope you've enjoyed this first Tweety Gamer podcast about Bloodborne. It is, of course, being made knowing that Bloodborne's about to come out in anticipation of that. We're taking a very long, thorough, and, you know, uh, insightful look at all of the aspects of Bloodborne revealed so far and understood so far. Um, And it's been my great pleasure to To put this first um, podcast together um, it's exactly the kind of podcast I would find myself wanting to listen to at my work and if any of you have very similar kinds of work or, or um, simply like putting something on in the background then I hope I've provided something that you've enjoyed so, okay so till next uh, till part two bye